Praise God, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to the On Earth As It Is In Heaven podcast. Romans 12.5 says, We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The goal of this podcast is to help all members of God's church establish God's kingdom here on earth by learning and discussing his principles Through these discussions, we hope to facilitate actions that will create heaven on earth. I'm your host, JB, and I'm going to start us off with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together in fellowship once again with you and our viewers. Lord, we pray right now that you would continue to bless this episode. We've just done a prayer. Uh, struggling to get this episode started, Lord. So we know things are coming against the message that you have here to be delivered to your people. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are in control of all things and nothing can come against you, Lord. And so we thank you that you have called us to be here, Lord. We pray that we would yield right now to the move that you are making through the Holy Spirit on this episode, Lord, that everything that you have called to go forth, that we would be strengthened and boldened to say, Lord, that your children, that your other servants, Lord, would receive what it is that you have for them, Lord, that it might help them in their will and the purpose that you have in their lives, Lord. We know that there are some coming to this episode, Lord, who are struggling in need of a miracle, Lord. They're in need of a breakthrough, Heavenly Father, and we pray that They would be, their hearts would be softened, Father, and not hardened, that they would have the faith to believe in what you are capable of doing in their lives, that they would know your power is real, that they would have an understanding, Lord, that they are loved by you, that you, anything is possible, Lord, through Christ who strengthens us. And so, Lord, let your power flow right now in this place, Lord, in the rooms of all the viewers, in the rooms of me and and Dr. David, Lord, let your power be present, whether they're watching this on the first day of releases or a year from now, Lord, your power knows no limits. And so we pray right now that you would manifest in all of our lives, Lord, but especially the listeners who have come here in search of something that they don't even know they're in search of, Lord, but we know that it is you, Jesus. And so we thank you that you're here. We pray for the blessings through this message that they will receive. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys for joining another episode here on Earth as it is in heaven. I am your host, JB, and today's guest is Dr. David Chaka. I don't want to mess that up. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) So would you mind sharing with us a little bit just about your background, how you came to the faith, and how you got to where you are now? Oh, all of those are long stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How long is our podcast? <laughs> well, you know what? I think it would be a helpful thing to start by telling you how I met the Lord. Okay. Um, I, I, I actually met, I was first in my family to become a believer. Okay. I was 16 years old at the time. And the background was not pretty. My, it was lower middle class, but my dad had been a bouncer in a strip joint. His two sisters ran the strip joint. Mm-hmm. And so we did not know much about the faith. 
And I was surrounded by things that were ungodly and unclean. And anyway, my, my dad broke from that lifestyle, founded a restaurant. He and my mom ran the restaurant. So always working, always cleaning mm-hmm. things, <laughs> yeah, always serving customers, that kind of thing. And well, when the day was done, I was in the drama guild in my local high school. I was a young man, 16 years old. And it, there were about 60 people in the drama guild. I liked drama. I liked acting, that kind of thing. My older brother was in it too. And both of us really enjoyed doing that kind of thing. And there was a revival that broke out in the school. And 30 of the 60 people in the drama guild met the Lord, half of them. And I got to watch the change up close and personal because I was involved with them in acting and, you know, figuring things out. Mm -hmm. And they've been to our homes and we've been to theirs and that kind of thing. Anyway, when the day was all said and done, I wound up watching them. And there were two kinds of responses inside my being. One was I didn't like what they were saying. The other was I was curious and astonished and drawn to it. And these two things Mm -hmm. waged war inside of me. Now, at the time, I could say Christ and I could say God. And I could say Bible and I could say church, but I could not say the name of Jesus. And I got really kind of disturbed. Anybody talked about the blood in any kind of a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Came to a head one day when I was walking down the hallway and there was one of the girls who'd been in the drama guild and she started singing, I've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pick her up and throw her against a locker. I stopped myself, but I was oh, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. It's, you know, a girl singing in the hallway on a hymn. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, that same girl in the course of time invited me to come and hear an English Methodist preacher. He was mm-hmm. in a, it was in a home and the home was an oversized living room. And there were about 45 people in that room. And I knew about half of them, but mm-hmm. you got to know the room was designed for about 20. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty jammed in there. But when I walked in, that English Methodist looked at me and he said, in the name of Jesus, you will be seated and you will not move until I finish my presentation. Amen. And suddenly my body could not move. I was utterly unable to move my, at all. It was this crazy kind of thing. Anyway, he started to preach and he used to, he, he worked through First John about the marks of the new birth, what it means to be born of the spirit. And he, as he was describing it, mm-hmm. I was strangely drawn to this man as my spirit was warring with him. I was appalled at what he was saying, but I was in love with what he was saying, and the two things were happening inside of me. At any rate, he had this crazy English accent. He was all of five foot two. He sweat profusely as he preached. He rubbed his hands together like this. His glasses fell down his nose. He'd look at you and he'd say, glory, hallelujah. Have you got Jesus in your flesh, glory? (laughs) I'm talking about like that. (laughs) At any rate. He said it to the girl who I had met in the hallway that day who eventually invited me. And she said, amen, yes, yes, I do. And I wanted to say it, but I couldn't. And he asked a number of other people in the room, and I tried to say it, and I couldn't. And after the end of his presentation, and oh, he was a masterful preacher. He gave an invitation. I jumped up to the front. I was the very first one at the, at the front of the room. And he said, no, not now. When I finish my sermon, he said. <laughs> so, so there I was at the front of the room. And there were about 15 of us who responded out of that 40 or 45 in the room. And I knew fully half of them because they were all from my high school uh, or they were from people that I, associations that I knew. There were some friends of friends who'd come that I didn't know, but it was a good crowd that I knew. Anyway, yeah. he prays for the first girl. And I know the girl is broken. I know her background. And she's sad. And it's very clear she's sad when she's responding to this prayer. Anyway, the man looked at her and said, can you tell Jesus you love him? And she tried. But it was pretty pathetic. And he mm-hmm. said, well, let, let, well, let me pray for you and then you try again. So he put his hands on her and he started to pray. 
And JB, I must tell you, what I saw was amazing. I looked over and I saw him shining with beautiful, gentle light. And the light came inside this dark girl and filled up her being. And she started to cry these beautiful tears. He went to the next girl whom I also knew. She was kind of a rules and regulations, stiff kind of girl who'd tell you how to handle your pencil. That kind of girl. And so he, yeah. he's talking to her too. And he asks the same question. Can you tell Jesus you love him? And she tried, but it was a mechanical kind of pushed response. He prayed with her too, and exactly the same thing happened to her. I watched this beautiful, gentle light flow down into the center of her. And she began to shine and, and tell Jesus she loved him. Anyway, he goes all the way around the circle. He comes to me last of all. And I don't know if he came to me last because, you know, I was the first one up there or if it was because I just. Right. <laughs> so he comes to me and he does. I'm expecting him to do exactly as he's done with all the others. Mm-hmm. And instead, he points his finger in my belly and he says, get out. Uh, get out. What's this? And I looked down at his hand. Yeah. And his hand was shining with beautiful, gentle light. And around my abdominal region was a cloudy, inky black mass. It was a cloud of darkness. And he started to say, get out of that young man. Out you go in Jesus' name. And he goes higher and higher. And I'm watching this black mist rise and his gentle hand. It gets to my chin. The black thing flies out of my mouth, goes straight through the wall. And I am surrounded by a beautiful vision of glorious light. And the light came inside of me. And then for the first time, I said Jesus' name. That was my beginning. (laughs) My first breathing second as a follower. Did the others see it too? I think the guy who did it did. I don't know okay. what happened to the rest. I was all caught. I stood to my feet. And I, started, <laughs> I started to shout, you know, that kind of thing. That's what happened to me. So I wasn't yeah. paying any attention to anybody else. I was paying attention to what had just happened to me. I do yeah, know about yeah. the girls, though, and I do know that being in that room, I talked to them later, being in that room was profound for them because mm-hmm. they sensed they were born of the Spirit, but they didn't notice what was happening to anybody else either because <laughs> right, there was yeah. this profound thing happening inside of them. So that's what took place. And that's how I started as a Christ follower. So from right the very first day, I realized, number one, Jesus is powerful. Number two, his nature is love. Number three, his power is greater than the power of the unclean spirits. And number four, those who are given that gift are able to cast them out. That that was my very first second as a believer in Jesus. So then I got called to the ministry. What's that? Sorry. That sounds like a road to on the way to Damascus moment with Paul, yeah. Paul who became Paul. Yeah. Yes. Uh, although I wasn't struck blind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have Ananias prophesy over me, but it was a dramatic moment. It was a dramatic mm-hmm. conversion. But what it did for me was that startup experience undergirded that the gospel was supernatural in nature. Mm-hmm. There was a supernatural realm, and it wasn't just the material thing that I was being trained about in school. That there really is this thing called the kingdom of God. That yeah. there really are angels and demons. That Jesus really did die and rise again from the dead. That he really did ascend into heaven and take his seat in heaven. Mm-hmm. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. You know what I'm saying? That, that mm-hmm. the whole the claims that the gospel was making about mm-hmm. how uh, a soul lives and what's the purpose of that soul, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All of this just became crystal clear. And so I began to devour the scripture as, as much as I possibly could. I just began to. Go, I, every kind of, if there's any kind of Bible study, I'd go to it. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. And in the course of time, Jesus called me into the ministry. And that's an interesting calling, too. So let me tell you how that happened. Yeah. So I'm standing by the refrigerator at night, just before bedtime. And my dad, I have two brothers. My dad and, and I were shooting the breeze. And I was mm-hmm. saying, you know, Dad, I'm my last year in high school. All my marks are within a percent 
I, you know, and I don't really have a strong passion for anything. I'm capable of doing this, but I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And he got the little sparkle in his eye, you know, and he said, well, why did you have a good sleep? And you wake up in the morning, you'll be fine. <laughs> it was one of those, you know, pat, pat you on the shoulder kind of dad moments. So I went off to bed. And the next morning, I woke up and knew I was to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I didn't tell anybody. I just got up. I had this conviction. So mm-hmm. I went to my high school and there was a guidance counselor there. And I booked in with a guidance counselor during my spare. I actually, in that we were in a semester system in those days. And so I had a long lunch hour and I had a spare. And so it was mm-hmm. actually during the lunch hour I saw him and I had a spare later in the day. That affects the story. So I said, said um, I think I'm supposed to go into the ministry. He said, well, what denomination? I said, well, I don't like my denomination. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't know much about it, actually. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a new believer. So, I, I, so he says, "Well, what's your denomination?" And I told him, "In the states, it would be like the United Methodist Church." Anyway, bottom line is, I look at him and I say, oh, "I don't. My, my pastor's boring. You know, I don't. You know, the church is kind of dull. There's no young people there. All that kind of thing." My parents mm-hmm. started to go because the pastor always visited my parents' restaurant. You know, that's all. Yeah, right. <laughs> just, just an Easter type, right? So, anyway. And he would always show up if someone was in trouble. So mm-hmm. that pastor was a pastoral caregiver. It's a lousy preacher. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the guy says to me, well, look, I'm in the same denomination. Why don't you meet my pastor? I said, sure. And I had to spare that day. And so he said, well, and it was an hour and 15 minutes. It was at the end of my day. So I could just go there and then go home. So, so I went to see his pastor and I walked into that office. And this guy was an Englishman. Right. <laughs> just like a Methodist that I'd seen mm-hmm. before. And he smoked a pipe and blew smoke rings. You know, while we were talking, he had this kind of gentle C.S. Lewis-like attitude toward life, yeah. you know, or Tolkien or something like that. Anyway, I was really struck by the fact that this guy was different. And he, was, he loved the Lord. He was born of the Spirit. And then he looked at me and he said, my son, you must bloom where you're planted. You can come here, but you're better served to go over there because they loved you. you they know you. And with great reluctance, I said, okay. And then I called my pastor and I saw him the next morning. And I sat down with the new pastor and I said, my old pastor, I said, hello, Reverend. And he said, hello, David, you're going into the ministry, aren't you? I said, what? He said, yeah, I've been praying. The Lord told me you're going to go into the ministry. Well, our church is having its 100th year celebration. We have not had a candidate for the ministry for years. Let's make you our centennial candidate. And the board was meeting that night. Yeah. And so he brought my name before the board. They agreed. And within two weeks, the three investigative committees that I had to have for the denomination sanction were all meeting. Usually it was a two year window. And within a week and a half, it was done. Yeah. I was in, you know, on my way to becoming a pastor. So I go home when all this is done and I haven't told my parents, I'm just bopping around doing my stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and wondering if this is going to pan out or not. You know, that you're, you're, you're. And so I said to my dad, dad, do you remember when we stood by the fridge that night? And you said, wake, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to know. And he said, yeah, that was a silly moment. I said, well, I know. I knew the next day I'm going to be a pastor. And I've jumped through all the hoops and I've talked to our pastor and he's agreed and the board has agreed. And I'm an intended candidate for the ministry at our church. He said, what? Yeah. <laughs> and he turned white as a ghost. Mm-hmm. He started to physically shake. He said, we have to talk. I said, okay. <laughs> when mm-hmm. you want to do that? He said, as soon as we're done. So we finished cleaning up the restaurant. And in those days, every day we had to mop the floors and we had to take out the mats and we had to clean the fans and clean the counters to get everything done. It was a diner. And okay. so we finished at the diner. We went home and he said, he, and here's what he had to have a shot of whiskey. 
because he was just so moved and he turns white as a ghost and he starts to shake. And he said, David, do you know the night when you said that? I said, yes. It was, you went up to bed. You went to sleep. I went to bed. Your mother was already fast asleep. And I lay down to go to sleep. And Jesus of Nazareth appeared in the doorway of the bedroom and walked over to me and said to me, wake up your son, David, ask him what he dreams and tell him he's going to do the following things. And he listed a whole bunch of things that include all the stuff that I'm doing today, although he wasn't allowed to tell me for years. And so now here's here, the twist in the story. He was at that time either an atheist or an agnostic, and it depended on the hour of the day. Either mm -hmm. there's no God or there's a God that I cannot see and I don't get it. And he was going back and forth between these two. And he only went to that church because this reverend always knocked on yeah. the door and showed up when anybody was in trouble. It was kind of a duty thing. And, of course, I didn't believe in the, in, until that moment in that with that Methodist guy. Anyway, so bottom line is, you know, he starts to tell me the story. And I said, well, what was it like? He said, well, he walked up to me and said that I had to tell, had to wake you from your dream and tell, ask you what you're dreaming and then tell you that it was true. I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I raced up the stairs and I shook you and you wouldn't wake up. And then I woke up and said to myself, that was the craziest dream I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> I don't even believe in that kind of thing. And he went back to bed and he put himself back in, under the covers. And as he was pulling the sheets up, the Lord reappeared to him. And it was an Ezekiel 2 moment. He grabbed him by the scruff of the pajamas and pulled him and stood him to his feet and said, go and wake your son, David. The dream is fading. Ask him what he dreams and then tell him the following things. And at the time, I did not know and I wasn't allowed to know until much later. But the thrust of it was that I would become a pastor, that I would uh, travel and teach, that I would write, that I would go to conferences, do ministry. I would equip people and I would be a pastor of the Lord's church. Anyway, so he goes up and he wakes me. And apparently I came to a groggy, semi-awake kind of state, told him something. And then he said, and then the Lord said, tell him quickly, tell him now he's waking. And so he said, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to write. You're going to travel. You're going to teach. You're going to go across the planet. You're going to write books. And you're going to you're going to encourage Jesus Church. And so when I woke up the next morning, I knew it was going to be a pastor. It happened. And all this thing took place within two weeks. And so I started to train for the ministry. And in the course of time, I tripped into the topic of my latest book. I, I tripped into prayer for healing. Uh -huh. So that happened in the seminary and it was a liberal seminary. And I was a born again, evangelical, open to the, the spirit kind of guy. Right. Yeah. So in that seminary, I would go in and what I did, and you remember, I, I knew about the supernatural because of uh -huh. my conversion experience and I'd had visionary experiences, but I'd never met anybody healed by the prayer of faith. Never once. I had been a Christian at that point, eight or nine years. I'd not mm -hmm. met one person who had been healed by the prayer of faith. I had not been trained in how to do that, nor did I know anybody who did that prayer of faith. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had met people who had been guided to a remedy, you know who had sensed they had been in an accident and felt the Lord lead them to a particular place where they could receive consolation or care or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'd never met anybody with a spectacular heel, right? So anyway, I'm in the school. And I'm start and so some of the professors didn't believe in the historical miracles of Jesus. And so in one of those classes, mm -hmm. they said something to that effect. And I said, wait a minute, I believe that the whole reason we're here is because those stories are true and that account is real. And Jesus did walk on the water and Moses did split the sea, et cetera, et cetera. There was, a, there was a guy in the class, and he could have been a stand-up comic. The guy was hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, what he does is he, you know, he start he cracks a joke. 
and the whole room falls into regales of glorious laughter. We're laughing so hard, we're crying because the guy's hilarious. But it was a joke about my supernaturalist view being stupid. Mm -hmm. And I felt the joke, it hurt. And and you laugh it off the first time it happens, you wonder if it's going to happen again. And the next class where it happened again, he did the same thing. And the next class after that, he did the same thing. At any time, I would defend the veracity of the scriptures or the need for the cross and the atonement and the resurrection or the the miracles of Jesus or anything like that. He would tell one of these crazy jokes and I would be the object of the humor. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, he not going to be my friend. (laughs) Not going to happen. Anyway, about two, three months later, we had a mutual friend and she was a sweet, kind, generous, other centered Christian girl. And her motto in life was, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And she'd Mm -hmm. always show up if you're in trouble. She'd always show up with a laugh or a cheerful note, or she'd sit down beside you if you were alone. It's just sweet kind of Christian girl. Anyway, whenever she was around, he was less nasty. (laughs) Yeah. We were friends. Anyway, so I was on my way to my Greek class, walking across the plaza. It happened three times a week. And this girl sees me and I said, oh, how you doing? I call her Susie in the book. How you doing, Susie? She said, oh, I'm just fine. I'm fine. So how you doing, David? I said, I'm good. I'm on my way to my Greek class. And she said, well, look, let me tell you quick. You know, our friend who makes the jokes, I said, oh, yeah, I know. I said, well, you see that hospital down there? And she pointed down the road about six blocks down the road. It was a university hospital in the city of Toronto. And she said, he's in there. I said, oh, what's wrong? Actually, I didn't feel bad. <laughs> bad attitude. Anyway. Yeah. She, she said, well, he's got phlebitis. Now, I don't know if your listeners know what that is. It's where a clot shows up in your arm or your vein in your leg or whatever. If it's in your vein, it's called mm-hmm. deep vein thrombosis. And if it's in your arm, it's called phlebitis. Or if it's in a shallow place, it's called phlebitis. But here's what happens with this. If the clot breaks free and it will travel through your bloodstream, it will lodge either in your brain or in your lung. And the prognosis in those days and still to this day is that 95 out of 100 people who get that die. And the 5% who don't die suffer terribly. They have a stroke. They have some terrible medical condition and it's awful. And so, so I said, oh, that's terrible. Is he getting good care? And she said, yeah, he's in the hospital down there. And then she looked at me and said, he asked me to ask you something. I said, oh, what's that? She said, he wants you to come and pray for him. I said, what? She said, he wants you to come and pray for him. I said, oh, are you kidding me? You're cr- that's crazy. Every, just a couple of days ago, uh, he, I spoke about Jesus with historical miracles. And she, he came back at me and told a joke and made me the laughing stop. And this girl, I call her Susie. She, she looked at me and she said, you know, you're right. He's been cruel. I said, yes, he has. I'm not going. I think he wants to make fun. And so she said, I'll talk to him. And I said, okay. And I went off to my class. And the next day I'm in the coffee lounge in the school. And she walks up to me and said, did you go and see our friend? I said, no, I told you. I think he's out to mock. She said, well, I talked to him and he's terribly sorry. And he's said that he's never going to do that again. And he would like you to come and pray for him. And I second time, I said, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't believe it. Now, now, there was lots of reasons. Number one, I had not a sweet clue what to do. Number Mm -hmm. two, I'd never met anybody healed by the prayer of faith. And number three, I thought he was going to mock. So I said no a second time. It's only two times in the book we had to edit it back for length. Anyway, bottom line was yeah. <laughs> I see her next day again a third time. Now, JB, has, have your mother ever told you off? Has your mother ever told you off? Oh, you oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. You know what happens when my mother would tell me off? She'd yeah. stop her with a 
she'd get fire in her eyes and she'd insert my middle initial in my name. Yeah. And this girl knew my middle initial and she was as sweet and kind as they come. And she stomped her foot and she looked me in the eye with the fire coming out of her eyes. And she used my middle initial, David yeah. R. Vodka. Aren't you going around this school telling everybody you meet that the Bible is the word of God written and should be obeyed? I said, yes. She said, well, what about this scripture? I was sick and you visited me. I thought, oh no. <laughs> I'm going to have to die out of sheer obedience to the scripture. And so yeah. I said, Look, it says sick and visited. It doesn't say sick and prayed. I'll go and visit. Right. She said, well, you better go and fast for you. But I was still scared to pray. So I went up to the hospital room after my next class. You know, it's only six blocks down the road. So I mm -hmm. walked and I got to the place. And it's serious. You, you can see the look on him. He's just, he's haggard and he's pale and his eyes are, are dim and he's, you know, he's wired to, he's got tubes coming into his body and the monitors are beeping on and off as the electronic things are going. Mm -hmm. It's very clear. He really is very sick. Anyway, I talked to him about the weather. <laughs> then I said, oh, how's your courses going? He had a pile of books and one of those tables, those hospital tables for eating. And he said, oh, not too bad. I'm keeping up. I said, okay. I said, well, I visited you now. I was going to leave. And he said, wait, aren't you, aren't you going to pray? And I just stood up and I said, look, I've got to know one thing before I even consider doing that. Just a few days ago, you mocked when I said that Jesus healed the leper. You made fun of that in front of our peers and you embarrassed me in front of our peers. You made me the laughing stock. Why? In the name of everything that is holy, are you asking me to pray for you when you don't believe in this? And he burst into tears. He was a 27-year-old man. He started to cry and he said, I have phlebitis. If that clot breaks free, it will kill me. I could die. You're the only guy I know who actually believes that every word of the Bible is true. Won't you please pray that your Jesus heal me? And I just, you know. I mean, what are you going to do, J.B.? I'm looking mm -hmm. at this guy. He's sick, and he's actually, he actually did repent. You know, he really did mean it. And so, But I, I still didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. so I, but I remembered in yeah. the Bible, Jesus put his hands on people and prayed, right? And so I thought, okay. So I said, where is the phlebitis? He said, left arm just above the elbow. I said, may I put my hand there? He said, yes. So I went around the machines, and I came up to his side. I put my hand there. I put my other hand on his head. And to this day, I cannot remember a word that I prayed from that prayer. I don't know yeah. what I said, but I will tell you, I prayed an honest prayer. Mm -hmm. And I said something to the effect, oh, God, would you please have mercy on this man? He's only, he's young, he's married, he hasn't got any kids, he wants to live. Something like that. Would you give him, would you give him grace and mercy? And this was the defining moment. So the one with the demon was a defining moment for supernaturalism. This was the defining moment for healing prayer. As I was doing this prayer, suddenly my heart filled with fiery peace. Every part of my being filled up with divine presence. And it was like the room was filled with compassion and I was inhaling it. It was this, like a cloud of mercy. I don't know how else to describe what happened. Mm -hmm. The Bible calls this manifest presence and it shows up a few times in the Gospels and it certainly shows up when the temple was filled in the Old Testament, when Moses filled, the tabernacle was filled after Moses uh, completed it in the last chapter of Exodus. So this manifest yeah. presence shows up and I feel it and he feels it. He, you could see he had this look on his face and this fire came into me and there were several defining marks. One was a rise of compassion for him. 
The second was the awareness of the manifest presence outside of us and inside me. Thirdly, there was this kind of like this focus, just absolute, total, complete focus on him. And there was this awareness that Jesus really did want this man well for his glory's sake. And it was a gift of faith. I had no doubt in my spirit at all at that moment that God wanted that done. And as I was putting my hand on him, this fire flowed through my hand, went into his arm. And then he looked at me and he said, what is that fiery presence burning inside of me? I said, that's the Holy Spirit. He's touching your body to make you well. And then, JV, I (laughs) ran out of the room. (laughs) I had never. Yeah. Never in my life ever experienced anything like that. Yeah. Nor had that. And I didn't, you know, I, I still was kind of afraid he was going to make fun. He was just telling stories or something. So the next day, four o'clock in the afternoon, in the coffee lounge, in the school, he was there. Mm-hmm. I said, You're here. He said, I am. And he dragged me into a corner. <laughs> yeah. was, it was a, a fluted column in the hallway. It's an old 19th century stone building. He pulls me into one of these corners, looks in every direction. And then he said, that prayer changed my life. And I said, thank you. And I ran away again. (laughs) (laughs) What he didn't know was that prayer changed my life too. I had never felt or seen anything like that before. Well, I found out later on what happened. So I raced out and a nurse was walking in. Mm-hmm. And she, he said to her, I can go home now. Jesus of Nazareth has just healed me. My friend from the Bible school, he's come and he's prayed for me. And she looked at him and said, we don't do that kind of thing around here. We have yeah. to run some tests. And he said, well, run them then. And she said, well, I'm here to run them. It's, your, it's time. So she, they took him in for all the testing that's required to make sure he's being monitored appropriately. Every trace of phlebitis was gone from his body. There were, all his veins were normal. There wasn't even scar tissue, nothing. Amen. And then they looked at him and said, you're well, you can go mm-hmm. home. So that night, he and his wife, of course, they're very grateful that he's well, and they, they don't even begin to understand this. They've never, another one of them had ever tasted a miracle before. Mm-hmm. And I had, well, I had the miracle of what happened to me in my new birth, but never a healing one. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> here's what happened. He and his wife looked at each other and they offered up a prayer of thanks to God. You know, they said, oh Lord, thank you for this. And they fell asleep and he had a dream. And in the dream, the Lord spoke to him. And said, you must defend my servant, David. He speaks for the integrity of my word. And when he does, he stands alone. Stand with him and defend him. And the next class that I was in, he defended my faith with the humor and attacked unbelief. And people laughed at unbelief. This went on for months. (laughs) So, you know, that's how that whole thing started with healing prayer. Yeah. And it began, and so of course, these two defining moments set up all that I'm doing currently now. That, well, for, actually, the three of them. The first was this experience of watching a demon fly out of me. The second was the Lord appearing to my dad to call me. And the third was this experience of seeing somebody miraculously healed by faith. And mm-hmm. everything that I'm doing now has roots in those three experiences. Yeah. You know, that also reminds me of Paul, you know, where... He was persecuting the Christians and again, road of Damascus, you know, he went to sleep, had that dream. He told him to defend you. And we see that Paul switches sides as well and starts defending the Christians. So yeah, actually, and nobody believed him at first. And I didn't believe yeah. the guy either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if it's like what I'm picturing, 
you know, what else would make someone who continuously day after day, you know, persecute you in, in, in such a way, you know, through the jokings of what you're saying, what would make someone like that switch? You know, well, like, yeah. I feel like for me, that would be proof in itself. I'm like, I, I have to do a double take. Hold on. You're always making well, fun of this guy. You know? so let, let, let me tell you how I found out about this. Because So I went through the summer and actually this interesting thing happened. He walked up to me when, and I, he didn't tell me any of this until the fall mm. time. But before this, we all had to go to what's called the summer field. Part of the domination requirement was you had to be under somebody's oversight for a summer field. And then you had to do an oversight in town under the mm -hmm. oversight of another pastor to train you, teach you the ropes, that kind of thing. So I'm on my way to the summer field. He passes his phone number to me. Mm -hmm. And he says, if you're in trouble, you call me. I said, okay. <laughs> and so I got back and he didn't call me. You know, he, he, I didn't call him rather. And he said, well, you didn't call me. I said, I didn't have any trouble. He said, well, if you're in trouble, you call me. And he didn't tell me yeah. who it was. And then about a month in, there was a lady who was a missionary. Her and her husband had come to Toronto to do a church plant in Toronto. They'd been a missionary to Korea. And she, she saw me talking about the Lord. And she walked up and said, you know, I want to invite you for dinner. My husband and I would love to have you over. I said, oh, okay, that's nice. She said, yeah, there's a lot of unbelief in this place. We want to just talk and pray. I said, okay. So we, I go to this lady's home. Her name is Lenore. Her husband's name is Walter. And we're having this beautiful dinner. And she said, you know, there's a lot of unbelief. I only seen faith one time. I said, when was that? She said, well, it was in an evening class with this guy. And, you know, the professor said that we shouldn't pray for people's healing. And this fella in the class said, oh, I, you know, I used to believe that way too until my faith healer friend from our college came and prayed for me. He went on a great life. She's telling me this. Yeah. He has not yet told me what happened to him on the other side of that. And she goes on for 20 minutes describing how he spoke to the prof about the phlebitis and how it vanished. And then she said this to him in the class, the teacher did. Oh, could it be that the anticoagulants worked? And he said, well, I wondered about that, but I had phlebitis on this side before. And there's scar tissue here. And there's no scar tissue on this side mm -hmm. at all. Jesus healed me. And then my friend Lenore and Walter both looked at me and they said, David, was that you? <laughs> yeah. I am yeah. a Christian believer. That's what I am. I'm not going around making claims. Yeah. I just believe that the Lord can do this. Anyway, then after that, there was this part, there was a party where we all gathered together and the girls all elbowed him. So his wife and his friend were there, their mutual friend. And I was having chat with them at one of these little innocent, innocuous parties, you know, just talking about mm -hmm. nothing. And in the middle of that, they elbowed him and said, tell Chotka what happened. Tell him what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's, he describes his dream on the mm -hmm. night that she was healed. And then after he says it, he looks in every direction. And then he says, the only time I got a phone call from God, it was for you. He said. <laughs> but it became a great witness in the school. It did. It, yeah. it, it became one of those turning point moments. And uh, it didn't shift everyone's position but it made them consider that the claims of christ were real and i think mm -hmm. some of them did cross that threshold and you know this after jesus committed miraculous acts of power lots of people believed in him some people wanted to kill him to get rid of him mm -hmm. and sometimes those things happen in the same moment it's yeah it's quite remarkable so some people in that school said yes to the miraculous power of jesus and some did not but yeah. regardless it doesn't matter the point is you testify and you witness of what you know yeah Amen. So what led you to making the book on this? Well, I had all kinds of experiences of prayer for healing where they just happened miraculously. Mm -hmm. and, and I couldn't deny it. In fact, I can tell you this. My wife was healed of muscular dystrophy. And I have a doctor's note to prove that. She couldn't lift her arms higher than this 
Yeah. And we had prayed for her for 20 years. And um, my church had partnered with a church in Uganda to try and help North Uganda rebuild when it was in terrible disarray. After that madman, Idi Amin became the king. He wasn't really a prime minister. He was more of a nasty dictator. Mm -hmm. And there was also this guy named Joseph Kony who was killing people left, right, and center. And he, he created something called the Lord's Resistance Army, but it had nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth at all. It was witchcraft mm -hmm. and evil and sorcery. People didn't follow him. He'd cut their arms off or cut off their tongues or their noses or whatever. Mm. Just, I met those people. Anyway, yeah. we're, we're doing this, and I'm helping them to rebuild. And the bishop from that, who organized a bunch of pastors to, to learn, came to my church. Mm he -hmm. was standing in front of my congregation. At that moment, there were 650 people in a 400-seat sanctuary. It was jammed to the rafters, just absolutely, totally jammed. And my wife had been declining with the effects of muscular dystrophy, FSH dystrophy, for, oh, since she was 16 or 17. That's when it manifests. And of course, we're both in our 40s at this point. And, and here's what happened is this crazy thing. She, she's, you know, we're in the church where I am sitting on the step because there's no room in the sanctuary, looking out at the congregation. And I can see my wife in the second row from the front. Mm -hmm. She is trying to worship the Lord. And we had prayed, I don't know how many times for healing to come. I don't know. In fact, the strange thing was she and I would pray for people to get well and miraculous acts of power would happen. There's one account in the healing prayer book where my wife prays for a lady who'd had an injured eyeball and the eyeball grew back. Mm -hmm. It was just this right. And that's medically verified with a doctor's note too. this crazy kind of thing happened while she was ill mm -hmm. and she was getting worse. And we prayed for her healing and it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And then we just stopped and we just decided we would seek the healer, not the. And this bishop's in the pulpit and he's preaching and he stops in the middle of a war story. He's describing what it was like for somebody who was in the middle of a war to suddenly be redirected and, to, and a bullet misses them and their life is spared. One of those kinds of crazy stories. And as he's talking, he stops and he looks at me and he said, David, what is M.A.? And I thought, M.A. Master Bartol, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, no, it's I got something wrong. And he listen, JB, he put his head on the pulpit. And of course, when you're in the middle of a story and you stop and ask a question and put your head in the pulpit, it feels like much longer than it really was. I, it felt mm -hmm. like hours, you know, and then he looks up. I'm sure it was only a minute. And then he says these words, and I'll never forget them. It was at 1142 a.m. at Spruce Grove Alliance Church in front of 650 witnesses. He said, it's a wasting muscle disease. It starts in your head. It goes down into your face and shoulders. Your shoulders muscle, your shoulder blades go out of position. You can't whistle. You lose the ability to gain, to grow muscle tissue. If you damage a muscle, it's gone. You wind up in a wheelchair and you cannot walk anymore. And he, was, he gave a perfect medical description of my wife's FSH, muscular dystrophy. And then he said this, whoever has this, Jesus has just healed you. And I was looking at my wife and for 20 years, she'd not been able to raise her hands higher than this. And her hands go above her shoulders for the first time in decades. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the church gasps because they know us. Mm -hmm. I'd been there five years at that point. They know us. They know she can't do that. People, some of the women in that church had come to help her clean because she couldn't move the couch to vacuum under the couch, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was an incredible and astonishing event. So when that happens to you personally, and when you see it consistently and regularly, and it's an amazing thing, 
and you meet Christian believers who, who want to believe in this, but don't know how to do it, you need to help them. So yeah. I, I, that's what I, so I wrote the book and I have a co-writer. I'm not the only writer of the book. The other writer of the book is Reverend Dr. Maxie Dunham. He was the president of Asbury Theological Seminary. That revival that just happened, it was on the news. At, at mm -hmm. He was the president of that school. Okay. Well, he's born again, wonderful, delightful guy. He's now in his 80s, pushing 90s. You know, he's getting up in years. Mm -hmm. He's written more than 50 books. And he said, now, David, we have to write about this. And so we made a commitment to do that. We did a little independent thing that we published on Amazon. It was only 50 pages. And then people at Whitaker House read the book liked okay. it, and, and called us. This is a funny, so last year, right around this time, right around Christmas, yeah. I called my friend Maxie. I said, now, Maxie, that, that book's too small. It's only 50 pages. He said, yeah, now you're right, David. I've been praying about it. We're supposed to expand that book. I said, well, then let's get started. Yeah. So we began to expand the book to write fresh material, fresh chapters, and the phone rings, and it's Whitaker House, and they want us to give them the book and to expand it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. it went from 50 pages to 208. And now it's been, it's just been released by them. And I've done an audio book and an ebook and a trade paperback. And in a month's time, I'm going to be flying down into the States to record a series of videos for teaching so that people can learn how to do this in their local churches and small groups or by themselves. It's something called Servant School. That's Journeywise Publishers are doing that. And okay. so the book is going to be used as an instrument to train people in how to do this. Good. So can I really... hand over so we can see the cover of it? Oh, well, sure. Yeah, here we go. This is the book. It's called Healing Prayer, and the, uh, the, su the subtitle is God's Idea for Restoring Body, Mind, and Spirit. Okay. And it's written by myself and Reverend Dr. Maxie Dunham, and that's his spelling of the name right there. I think you can see it now on the screen. Yep. And okay. Yep. This book is available wherever books are sold. So you can order it at Barnes & Noble. You can order it at Books A Million. You can go down the street to Walmart and put in order. You can get it there. Or you can go on Amazon. Or you can go to Whitaker House's website if you're in the States. Shop the word. And yeah. uh, they have it there on sale. Actually, ChristianBook.com has it on sale. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite surprised. You know, I used to buy yeah. books from Book.com all the time. And I went there. And my book's there. It's on sale. It's like, no, 30% yeah. off. You can get it cheap there. So there you go. But the intention behind it was not just to tell the stories. The intention behind it was to teach people what the signals are for when God wants to do it through you. Mm -hmm. and so we deliberately tell stories in the book that don't involve either myself or Maxie. One of the stories I tell in there is from a lady from the church that I last served here in Windsor. It was Heritage Park Alliance Church. There was a lady named Susan, and she's given me carte blanche permission to use her name. She had pancreatic cancer. Now, my friend, that's a horrible way to die. Excruciating pain. And if the cancer metastasizes, it's over. And there is a procedure that you can do to try and beat it back. It's called the Whipple procedure, where they remove the things around that cut out the cancer. And people who have the Whipple procedure usually live five years longer. She had the Whipple procedure, and then they discovered that the cancer had moved from her pancreas to her lungs, and it was over. They just looked at her and said, you got three months. And so, I mean, I met her three years after this. And she told, so she's actually, she was widowed and she was coming to get married. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my very first pastoral wedding, my very first one in that church was her and yeah. her widowed husband, the, the, the guy she married. And so the two of them had fallen in love late in life. They both had been widowed. And I was, you know, talking to this. So she says to me, I never thought 
that I would talk to a pastor about doing my wedding. I thought I'd be talking to a pastor about burying me. And then she told me this story. So she had been diagnosed. She had the Whipple procedure. The cancer had metastasized. They said she had three months to live. And she belonged to a small group in the church. And in the small group was one of the elders, big, tall guy, conservative as the days long, one of these guys who would hold his cards close to his chest. And when he spoke, he'd speak wisdom. That's the kind of guy he was. Anyway, she goes to the small group. She tells the small group that she's got a death sentence on her life, and she wants to be anointed with oil for someone to pray for her. And so mm -hmm. that elder agrees. He gets another elder, and she brings three of her friends in the room. I talked to all five of them, everyone who was in the room. I was not there. But I wanted her story in the book to make the point, you don't have to be the professional to be involved in this. And here's what happened. They gathered in the room. They read James chapter 5, where it says you're supposed to anoint the person with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And while they were praying, the presence filled the room. Everybody I talked to described it. The two elders and the three ladies all said exactly the same thing. They all felt this fiery presence fill them. And the, pot, the fire rose up inside the intercessors. There were four of them praying and flowed through them into her body. And then like in Mark chapter five, she said, I felt in my body that I was healed. Suddenly she just knew. And mm -hmm. so the, she said, what do I do now? And they all said, well, we think you're healed too, but do whatever your doctor says. You know, <laughs> yeah. the doctor said that she had to do chemo. It's only going to add a month to her life. She decides to undergo it, even though she doesn't think she needs it. And four months later, after gaining weight, growing her hair back, feeling really well and getting profoundly well, she goes to see her doctor. He says, the cancer has gone from your lungs. The cancer has gone from your pancreas. You're putting on weight. You look wonderful. Oh, I think you're in complete and total remission. Well, that was in 2012. This is now 2023. She yeah. is still alive and well to this very day. She serves as an usher at Heritage Park Alliance Church, and she's full of love and full of kindness and full Amen. of joy. Her name is Susan, and she's in the book. Yeah. I wanted the story to be there because I wanted to communicate the message that anybody can be an instrument that God uses for prayer for healing. Mm -hmm. Anybody. What it takes is a decision that you're going to obey the Bible. Now, I will tell you that there's holy mystery in this. And the reality behind this is you can't bluff a miracle. You can't create a miracle, but you can cooperate with one. And the way I describe it in the book is God initiates and we respond. And there are signals that you pay attention to when yeah. you're in the middle of that. So what just happened last week? I had a buddy who was in the ministry and he'd been told he had MS. And he want, I hadn't talked to him in years. He had retired out from the ministry. And so he contacted me because I'm the prayer guy in the Alliance in Canada. And he said, David, I want you to pray for my healing. I said, well, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And he told me he had MS. He'd been diagnosed. And so over the Zoom, we prayed. And two days ago, he sent me a note. And the doc told him the MS has vanished. That's amazing. That's last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not in the book because the book was published this year. <laughs> anyway, right, so, right. I mean, but when we were praying, I got this sense, and he got the sense at the same time, that something was afoot. Yeah. And that, that the Lord was doing something. And then he went back for his medical test and got the test back, and he was told that he has no MS in his body. It's done. Oh, my. Yeah. That's the kingdom of God. Yeah. You, can't, you can't do better than that. That's God's kingdom. So my goal, 
is to teach others to do this because mm-hmm. I'm getting up in years. I don't want to admit that, but I have to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there, and the bottom line is whenever we just believe the Lord manifests his healing presence and power. Yeah. You know, it's just this crazy kind of incredible. And I'll just third word people believe it more quickly than first word people. believe. It. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I think it's because they have less resources to depend on and they have to depend on that. Yeah. So a few some years back, 2010, I went to the Lausanne Congress for, for the Billy Graham School and John Stott. These guys put together the Lausanne Conference on Worldwide Evangelism. People from across the earth came. And the Canadian coordinator was a guy by the name of Carson. And Carson, just before this thing happened, before the event happened in South Africa, was in a terrible car accident. And, you know, he survived. But he had all kinds of muscle injuries and broken bones mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. And his doctor said, you can't fly on a plane from Vancouver to South Africa. You're going to hurt yourself. And he said, well, if I phase it so that I do it in small steps, could I go? I am the Canadian wide coordinator for the Lausanne movement. Could I go, please? And he said, well, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you have injured yourself and it's really severe. And he's, he's got whiplash. You've got some broken bones. You're going to you're not in good shape anyway. The doctor consented that he would fly from Vancouver to Toronto and night over and rest and then fly from Toronto to London and then night over for two days and rest and then fly from London to Cape Town, South Africa, where the event was being held and he would rest if he was in advance of the conference. And so he goes to the conference and let me tell you, there was 5,000 delegates from across the earth and all kinds of people to help. They were from every nation under earth. They were all involved in the worldwide evangelization of the planet. This is an amazing group of high quality leaders. And I don't know why I'm there, but I'm privileged to be there. Anyway, he's at one of these tables and it's plastic chairs with wooden tables on a concrete floor. And he is in terrific trouble. He can hardly stand. Just, I mean, it's just, he's just trying to do the best he can because he knows he's the Canadian coordinator. There was a lady there from El Salvador. There was someone else from Nicaragua, poor as church mouse. Some American had sponsored them to fly. They're in the room and they look at him and they said, what's wrong? And he said, I will not kid you. I had a terrible car accident. I've been injured. I'm hardly able to sit, let alone stand. The pain is almost unbearable. And they said, well, let's just ask Jesus to heal. So (laughs) these two two ladies in broken English put their hand on him and boom, in an instant, he was healed. Mm -hmm. We're talking an instant. And so he became robust and healthy. He flew back to Canada and he's a Baptist guy. And he has a doctor who belongs to his Baptist church. And that particular Baptist doctor wasn't sure he believed in this prayer for healing kind of thing. And so he, so Carson shows up and says to him, I'm healed. I'm healed. Jesus made me well. And the guy said, let me examine you. He pushed every button in that body that would make it hurt. And he didn't hurt at all. And he came back the next day and there was no pain. And then the doctor sat back and said, this just doesn't happen like this. And he said, well, I'm, you know, a Nicaraguan and an El Salvadorian prayed for me in South Africa. <laughs> Jesus, but there's holy mystery here. His wife died young of cancer. I mean, so let's put these two pieces together. Medicine, miracle, and mystery intertwine. And we're not to abandon medicine because we believe in the miracle principle. We're to work with medicine, we're to cry out for a miracle, and we're to accept holy mystery. Mm-hmm. And the three of these things intertwine because God in his glory understands this better than we do. And for whatever reason, he grants these graces and gives them to us to be witnesses in our day and generation 
but we're not God and we're not in control of those. Yeah. God is the one who manifests his presence and power when he wants to. But I do believe it's to be far more frequent than we see in the North American churches. Yeah. Amen. So the for any viewers who are feeling like this is really resonating with them and they believe that God may be calling them into this type of ministry, your book, The Healing Prayers, is a really good, would you say, actionable step for them to take? To Yes, yes, it, because the book is designed to teach them. Uh, first, first of all, we testify. Secondly, we give biblical reflection on our testimony. And then thirdly, we give training steps for teams mm -hmm. or individuals who want to be involved in prayer for healing. And yeah. the goal of the book is not just to tell the stories. The goal of the book is to put the tools in people's hands that they would need, the requisite tools to be able to understand theologically and biblically how it works, and then to examine what it feels like and how to do it and how to build a team around making this happen. That's all in that book. Amen. Now, for listeners who maybe are like some of the people and some of the stories you told who have really been seeking medical help and it doesn't seem to be helping out with their situation what words would you uh, leave for them i would say this that you always to seek the healer and there are seasons when you seek the healing but first and foremost seek the healer and cry out for guidance and i will guarantee you this scripture says you will be guided whether you're guided on a pathway to a remedy whether you're guided to bear the pain for a season whether you're granted an instant heal or whether all those steps are mixed together in some kind of remarkable way, or whether your body just catches up after it's been tired and worn out for a long season and natural healing begins to kick in again. All of these things are functions of what it means to be involved in healing prayer. Amen. Um, and then could you just share a little bit about some of the topics of the other books that you've written? Yes. Okay. I'll tell you two really quickly. Uh, yep. This book is called, is, is on listening to the voice of Jesus. It's called, Hey, are you there? It's me, God. How to listen, test, and know when God speaks. And this one was on Amazon number one in Canada for four weeks. as okay. a forward by Jack Canfield, the chicken soup for the soul guy. And so uh, this one is only available on Amazon. I haven't published that in bookstores. But uh, it's a day-by-day -day guide. And it's five days a week for six weeks to teach people to, to be able to listen to the voice of Jesus. And what I discovered is the voice is primarily nonverbal. And I have another book that I'm republishing, but I'll show you the old one temporarily. This is the first one I wrote. This is the one I wrote for the Ugandans. It's called Power Praying. And it's called Jesus, Hearing Jesus' Spirit by Praying Jesus' Prayer. And this one is actually the reason why I was interested in your podcast, because you talk about on earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. But the original book here takes a look at every key word of Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and roots it in the teaching of Jesus so that people can learn to pray Jesus' thoughts after him. And mm -hmm. so those are the ones that are on the market. There's a more technical book on discernment. It's actually my doctoral thesis, and here's this one. But I don't know if you, the average reader would like this. Regardless, I'll tell you, this is called Sifting Our Discerning, and this is my doctoral work, and it dives deeply into the biblical roots of prayerful discernment and how you do that in the community. That's mm -hmm. what turned into the Hey, Are You There? It's Be God book. This is the technical work. And the green book is the one that has to do with, with the average reader being able to understand the principles that are behind okay. it. Okay. And that one's on Amazon as well? The yes, power it is. Praying. And actually that one's, yeah, Power Praying is there. Sifting Our Discerning, the, the one I just showed you is there. So is the Hay book. And so also is the Whitaker House book. The thing that's different with the Healing Prayer book is that it's available in bricks and mortar stores as well as on Amazon. 
Gotcha. Okay. And I have a website and people, I do teach zoom courses and I also fly in to do conferences that people want to book me. So you can reach me at my website and that my website is spirit equip. So spirit, like Holy spirit spelled the same way. Mm-hmm. And the word equip, like in equipment, spirit And there you find links to my Instagram, to my YouTube channel, to my Facebook page, to some blogs that I do, et cetera, et cetera, and links to my conferences and books and so on. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Spiritequip.com. That's it. Yep. All right. Awesome. Well, I thank you, Dr. David, for coming on here and and taking the time to share. I know through those stories, it, it even helped me build in faith. And so I know it definitely affected the listeners who have come on today. Was there any last words you wanted to kind of share with listeners? Anything you had on your heart? Well, I'd like to pray for anybody who's listening, because I know right now somebody out there is ill. Somebody else has just received a miracle, doesn't know what to do with it. (laughs) Somebody's been guided in a pathway to a remedy, and all of these are from God. So let me just pray quickly for your listeners, and then we'll close out our day today. So Lord Jesus, I am aware that as I've been telling these stories, there are people who have borne long with suffering in the audience. There are also people who have just experienced the touch of your grace for the first time in their life. And there are people who've been guided and they're in the middle of treatment that they sense they've been guided to. All of these are from you. Would you encourage the faith of the ones who don't have much? Would you strengthen the faith of those who are strong and grant that they be people who help others alongside? And would you guide all the listeners to this podcast at any time of the year, any day of the week, to be able to say yes to any of the claims of Christ, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And then, yeah, so I want to thank all the viewers for coming on to view another episode of On Earth As Is In Heaven. I believe we have all been blessed and I look forward to our next episode. Would you mind closing this out in prayer now, Dr. David? I think I did, but I'll do it again. (laughs) Okay. I know that was just a healing prayer or that was a closing one. Let me just pray a blessing then. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would cause every person who's heard this today to be lifted in their faith. There are people who are not ill and they're not struggling with people who are ill in their family. They just want to hear about Jesus. Let those hearers be blessed and let let JB be blessed as he does his work in getting this podcast out week by week and month by month. Let everybody who is listening to this podcast today know how good you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. David. Thank you, viewers, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another episode. I hope today you received an on-time word from God and found the inspiration you needed to take action in whatever it is that God has called you to do. Tune in next week to hear another Holy Spirit-led conversation about how together we will bring heaven here on earth according to God's will.